Now, it just leads me to uh, introduce our speaker for today. He's a very good friend of Ellsbury Vineyard. Um, very funny man, I must say. Should be, because he's a comedian. Um, but yeah, so um, if I could welcome a very good friend, Andy Kind, comedian and writer. Thank you. Thanks, Austin. Thanks, mate. Thank you. And uh, also, you would hope, preacher as well. He's, he's a writer. He's just going to jot some things down while you all watch. Uh, I am a comedian, so I refuse a lectern because it is cheating. I don't need... I will need it later, but I'm not going to stand in front of it because I'm not scared of you. All right? Uh, thanks. Will you be able to pass those things to me when I need them, Andy? Yes. That'd be great. Uh, hi, friends. It's lovely to be with you. We, uh, the Gilberts and I worked out last night that I have performed or been on stage here at Aylesbury Vineyard more than any other venue in, in the country, I, including, including comedy venues, comedy gigs. So I've done 2,000 performances over the last uh, 14 years, but um, none more than here. So it's always great to be with you, great to be home. And I am now primarily a preacher. I'm here to talk about the gospel. Is that all right? It means good news. So you're... And I want you to laugh. You are, there'll be bits where I'm hoping you'll laugh. It's, I think it's very okay to have a good time listening to the good news. Do you agree with that? Some of you do. No, we don't agree. If you could wait in the cafeteria, that would be fine. Um, I want to start... So I am a preacher. I just want to let you know that. And also to say that I wouldn't be preaching the gospel at all if it wasn't for uh, you guys at Ellsbury Vineyard. If you remember a few years ago, I did your... Um, Chris, I did a couple of Christmas things. I can't remember what it was now. It's all a vague memory. But I came here around Christmas time, and I, I did something which was about Jesus. And I thought, oh, yes, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So whatever happens, whatever carnage ensues from now on, it's your fault. <laughs> all right? I've got a word uh, from the Lord for you. Are you okay with that sort of thing? You For the Lord talking to you about things? Um, <laughs> I hope so. So this is, um, this is what God... Uh, the creator of the universe, says about you as, as a church. Um, he says, uh, Aylesbury Vineyard, that's you guys, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you because the Lord has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you, Aylesbury Vineyard, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's for you guys. How about that? Do you believe that? Yeah. Brilliant, isn't it? Yes, well, like one person clapping. Now, my question is, um, I need to start my timer, otherwise Steve Burnhope will have me assassinated. Uh, <laughs> we'll just say from now. If you could just stop the recording at 30 minutes, whatever's happening, that would be great. And we'll just say that I ended then. Um, my question, so I've, I've, that, that is... Is from Isaiah 61, but it's about you. What do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, my question is, if you don't believe that anything in the Bible is for you, then why are you reading the Bible? If the Bible is not in some way about and for us, then what's the point of it? Now, you are not the primary audience for Isaiah 61. The Isaiah 61 is a prophetic calling about the coming of Jesus. But now that Jesus is here and he is in your lives and in your heart and in you, it's also about you. Okay? Let me give you an example. Over the summer, the golden summer of 2018, it's been great. It's over now. We had a, uh, 
Remember when we got to the World Cup semi-final? I, still, I sometimes still check that that happened. I still don't really believe it. We had a barbecue over the summer, and um, I was cooking the meat. And uh, when the meat was ready, I shouted, Meat's ready! And the people who heard it first were the people closest to me, the James Tweets of this world, the people who sit close to the barbecue so that any steak going is lapped up immediately. But I made sure that my voice carried so that the kids playing on the edge of the field in the, in the woodland also heard it. That's simply what I mean about Isaiah 61. God, God knows, however literal or literate you want to take the Bible, as Christians we believe that that is what God was happy for us to have. Okay, so we can agree on that, that however literal and literalistic you want to be, this is what God is happy for us to have. And God's voice is capable of carrying through the centuries, through the eons, through the generations, so that we can hear in 2018 here that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you. So that you can go and preach good news to the poor and bind up the brokenhearted. And honestly, like you do it better than most churches I've been to. So you're already well on the way, but it's an encouragement for you. I live, um, for the next few weeks, I'm moving, but I live in uh, Huddersfield, and I was there when uh, Huddersfield, they won, you know, not last season, the season before, they won the playoff final, they beat Reading on penalties on the playoff final, and I was in Huddersfield when they, when they won, they hadn't been in the top flight for like 30 years or something like that, and they all came racing out of the pubs, and they were going crazy, people were taking their clothes off, one guy comes racing up to me, and he says, hey mate, isn't it great news? Integrate news, we're in t- 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 premiership, integrate news. Now, that is quite a good Huddersfield accent, I have to let you know. It's also, I have to admit, uh, my generic northern accent. If this had happened in Sunderland, exactly the same accent. So he said, integrate news. And he raced off to tell somebody else. He didn't wait for my response, he raced off to tell somebody else. And I thought, oh my gosh, wow, this guy's an evangelist. I thought, serious. This guy is an evangelist because he has witnessed something that has changed his outlook. He has witnessed something that has filled him with such joy, he can't wait to tell people. He needs to tell people. And do you know why he was a brilliant evangelist? Do you know why he was a better evangelist than anyone in this room? Because he wasn't bothered what I thought. He didn't care whether I knew anything about football or I liked Huddersfield Town. Yes to the first question, no to the second, by the way. He wasn't bothered. He didn't care. My cynicism wasn't going to steal his joy. And he raced off to tell somebody else. Because he had good news to share. I don't know many Christians who are that excited about the gospel as this man was about Huddersfield Town. And why not? Eventually, Huddersfield are going to go down. We're going up and staying up, aren't we? (laughs) Sometimes I'm that excited. Sometimes you are. I'm not condemning any of us. I'm just saying that actually it's better than we think. The gospel's better than we think. In uh, Luke chapter 2, when the angels appear to the shepherds on the hillside, uh, they freak them out first of all, uh, but they say, we bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All people, not just people who win the playoffs. All people. I love, I love it. In Acts 14, I love the book of Acts. In Acts 14, uh, Paul and Barnabas in Derby and Lystra, they've been uh, to Lystra. They go along the A50 to Derby. A lot of the book of Acts is in the uh, East Midlands. I don't know if you know that. A lot of it's set there. Um, 
They're preaching the gospel. It's going really well. There's a crippled guy who gets healed. The crowd are having a great time. They're blown away by Paul and Barnabas and the signs and wonders and what they're saying. And then they say, oh, you, must, you guys must be Greek gods. You must be. And Paul and Barnabas say, no, no, we're just men like you. We're here to tell you uh, about Jesus. No, 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 we're not having that. You're definitely Greek. Let's kill some oxen and have a lovely barbecue. Meat's ready. Then what happens is a gang uh, of, of Jewish guys coming from a different place, they turn the previously receptive crowd into a riotous mob. Paul gets absolutely battered and thrown out of the city like the cat at the end of the Flintstones, you remember? And, and left for dead. The apostles gather around, they pray for him, he gets up, and what does he do? He goes back in. He goes back in to the place where he's been met with confusion, cynicism, and physical violence. He goes back in. Why? Because isn't it great news? He's got good news of great joy to share. Compare that to me, Andy Kind. You preach to yourself, first of all, and I'm preaching to myself here, first of all. Compare that with me. Uh, I am, the technical term for me is a coward. When we moved, when we were still in, in, in Manchester, we moved from... Uh, a Coronation Street-style terraced house to a cul-de-sac in a slightly nicer part of Moss Side. Now, Moss Side, yeah, it sounds dangerous. There's lots of good stuff going on there. There's a Christian bakery called Baguette Behind Me Satan. It's a really, really nice place. <laughs> really, I didn't say it was a good bakery. I just said it was a bakery. Um, we moved to this cul-de-sac, and my wife said to me, right, I'll unpack the boxes. You go down the road to Aldi and get us some basic provisions. So you come out of our cul-de-sac, 200 yards on the right, there's... Uh, a massive Audi. You're familiar with Audi, aren't you? Yes, of course you are. So I'm in Audi. I'm getting all the basic provisions that you can get from Audi. Bread, milk, fishing rod. It's all in that middle aisle, isn't it? It's all down there. Oh, there's a donkey on sale. Fantastic. This will be great for Palm Sunday. Brilliant. I'm in the queue in Aldi behind the woman who turns out to be my new next-door neighbour. I don't know that. Uh, and her name is uh, 80 years old, uh, quite frail, very, very lovely. I don't know at the time she's my new next-door neighbour. Uh, had I known that she was my new next-door neighbour, of course I would have made polite conversation. Equally, had Anne known that I was her new next-door neighbour, she might not have looked quite as petrified when I followed her home. Everybody, this is the... Uh, <laughs> The first part was absolutely fine. But once we got back to the cul-de-sac and Anne turned around to see me still gaining ground like Terminator 2, it became obvious that she thought I was going to mug her. <laughs> and to be honest, part of me was thinking, well, you've done the legwork, she'll yield quite easily at this point. Take the fishing rod and go and start a new life in the woods, it'll be fine. I wouldn't do that. I'm, a, I, I'm a, a disciple of Jesus. I wouldn't have done that. But I didn't even have chance. Anne saw that I was still gaining ground and looked very shocked and raced inside her house like the Usain Bolt of the octogenarian world. She ran inside, uh, locked her door, and I heard it slam. I heard, I heard it bolt. I thought, oh, no. What a moron. I've only been here for two hours. I'm supposed to be here to build community, not to flipping decimate it. This poor, this poor elderly lady, I can't allow her to be locked inside her own house, traumatised. There's some kind of weird stalker on the loose. I can't have that. I'd better go over and explain. <laughs> so that was not a good idea. So I, I went over, knocked on the door. As you can imagine, she didn't answer, <laughs> despite, despite me standing outside saying, I know you're in there. <laughs> I just want to talk. 
You would hope that's the... We are going somewhere, by the way. I am still going to talk about Jesus. Um, You'd hope that's the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. As it turns out, the only reason Anne is a lovely lady, was a lovely lady, uh, and uh, the only reason she was in uh, Aldi in the first place was to buy a uh, Victoria sponge cream cake as a welcome gift uh, for her new (laughs) neighbours, who she'd never met. A cake that she brings around later on that day. Now, later on that day, I am, I am in the house. My, my wife and, and young daughters have, have been uh, taken out to meet some of the other neighbours. Uh, so the doorbell goes. But I only expect it to be my family because I'm not expecting anybody else. And if you've got young children or you're familiar with young children, you'll know that what young kids like most of all is when grown adults act like young kids. They love it. My daughters, they've got, I've got this thing they love. They can't get enough of it. I do it all the time. I'll creep up on them. And they won't see or hear me. And then I'll just jump out from nowhere. They really like that. They like it when I do it. So the doorbell goes. I think it's my daughter's. It's not. It's 80-year-old Anne, clutching a Victoria sponge, still traumatised from the weird stalker experience she's had earlier in the day. And I wish this wasn't true, but I promise you that it is. I went to the door, I unbolted the door, and thinking it was my two infant daughters, I opened the door to Anne like this. There you are! (laughs) There there you are, just take that cake off you. (laughs) Now, for the next, the point is, for the next few weeks, I was so embarrassed, and rightly so, but I was so fearful. I wasn't just embarrassed. I was so fearful I, I refused to leave the house if I thought that Anne might be outside. <laughs> uh, bear in mind, I am an evangelist. That is now my job. But I was terrified to be anywhere near her because I thought I'd ruined it. I was ashamed. And essentially, I was just proud. I was making it all about me. But I remember on one occasion, I heard her with her car keys, and I just lay on the carpet in case she looked through the window and saw me. What was she going to do? So anyway, it was terrible. And this is the problem, because the Bible tells me something that I wasn't living out. The Bible tells me a couple of things about fear. And it was all fear. It was just fear of embarrassment. It was fear about sharing the gospel with somebody who might reject me. That was what it was. The Bible tells me a couple of things about fear. First of all, it tells me that I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind or self-control. The Bible also tells us that there is one thing and only one thing that casts out all fear, and it's perfect love. Perfect love isn't a vague concept. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. So if I'm a Christian, and I am living in fear, and I believe what the Bible says, but I'm not living as though it's true, then there's a problem. There's a disparity and there's a discrepancy. And it's interesting, the Bible says, do not be afraid more than it says anything else. 365 times, once for every day of the year. It doesn't say, God never says to us through his word, don't be the Eiffel Tower, or don't be a Badger, or don't be a Spurs fan. There's no chance of anyone being any of these things. (laughs) There's at least two in here. (laughs) The the others came, I thought it was a bit of a big crowd, I've got vertigo, I'll go home. Um, so God, feeling afraid, this is the point, feeling afraid isn't, isn't sin, it's not wrong. Staying afraid is, 
actually. When you're a Christian, refusing to bind your fear, it's a problem. God says, do not be afraid. We don't have to be. Now, he knows that we will instinctively feel afraid because our pres- we, self-preservation is our, is our kind of modus operandi. But there's a better way, Jesus says through his word. There's a better way. You don't need to be afraid because I am with you and perfect love will cast out all fear. So that's, that's an interesting one. So what is it for me? Because for all of us, there's reasons. We all believe, probably, if we're Christians, if we would call ourselves Christians in this room, we all believe that the Bible is true conceptually. We'll say, yeah, I believe the Bible. But a lot of us don't live as though we actually do believe it. And how we act much more than what we say shows what we really believe. And the influence on our life is so important. The problem is that the gospel is never heard in isolation. If you only hear the gospel throughout your life and you live that out, you'll have an amazing life and people will become Christians left, right and centre. But we always hear a lot of other things alongside it. My problem was that um, I became a Christian at the age of 22, but I inherited a Christianity that was not biblical Christianity. I became a Christian into a society that was still, at that time, nominally Christian. I inherited middle-class Christianity. Some of you will be familiar with that. I inherited middle-class Christianity. I was told, don't get me wrong, we were pro-Jesus. We would have voted Jesus in an election in the environment that I was brought up in. I'm not talking about my parents. I'm talking about the wider microcosm of society. I'm talking about society in in general. We were pro-Jesus. We would have voted Jesus in an election. But I was told that the most important thing in my life was to make something of myself. Middle-class Christianity. Make something of yourself strive to get yourself a good job so you can get a mortgage so that when your kids grow up they can get a good education so they can get a good job and a mortgage so that when they're kids etc 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 now that's good advice but it's not good news it's not the gospel it also in fact disagrees with the gospel because in Philippians 2 it says of Jesus um, not considering equality with God something to be grasped he made himself what famous wealthy nothing he made himself nothing Jesus, the Lord, the guy who created all of these things that we see around us, who created you and me, he made himself nothing so that God's glory could be shown through him. So if I'm a Christian and I'm saying, I believe in a guy who made himself nothing, but I need to make something of myself, there's just a fit there. There's a fit there that doesn't fit. I was shown, not by what people said, but by how they lived. Again, it's middle-class Christianity that I inherited. I was shown by, not by what people said, but by how they lived, that life wasn't all about Jesus. Life was about providing security and comfort for yourself and your family. Again, that's good advice, but it's not good news. And it's not possible for lots of people, which is why it can't be good news, because it's not the gospel. It doesn't preach. It also, again, disagrees, because in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, chapter 1, letter to the Hebrews, right at the start, the writer says of Jesus that um, God the Father created the universe through him and appointed him heir to all things. It says of Jesus that he is the full radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things, all things, through his powerful word. My friends, the Bible tells me that life is all about Jesus. It was created by him, it's sustained by him, it will be wrapped up by him. The Bible tells me that life is all about Jesus. And if life isn't actually all about Jesus, then the Bible is lying and I don't have to read any of it. I don't have to take any of it seriously. Let's forget this nonsense about the greatest story ever told. 
I'm happy to acknowledge that the greatest story ever told, if the Bible's not true, is under siege too. Brilliant. How is he even on the train? Forget that, it's not important. Such a coincidence. It's not about under siege too, Andy. You'd be surprised how many times I have to tell myself that. However, if the Bible is true, and the Bible is not lying about Jesus being everything, then somebody else is. Somebody else has been. And for me, it was middle-class Christianity. I inherited a Christianity where the good news was basically that I was white and raised in the West. That's not good news. It's also not really true, but it's not good news. The Bible tells me that my inheritance is not middle-class Christianity. My inheritance is not a mortgage and a garden and 20 years when I retire before I have a heart attack. The stairway to heaven is not a career ladder and it's not a property ladder. The Bible tells me and you that your inheritance is something that can never perish, spoil or fade. And it's things like this. Love, hope, beauty, purpose, joy, freedom, Fullness of life. This is the inheritance God has for us. These are the real things that he wants to offer us. He likes to bless us all the time. But I don't think God thinks that Netflix is the blessing that I think it is. (laughs) I don't think that God blesses me by letting me binge on Stranger Things in the way that I think he is. He's got better things for me. There's a better story. It's better than we think. The best is yet to come. This is the message. I want you to hear me on this. You don't have to, but I want you to. If you are already a Christian, and even if you're not, it's still true, but there's the decision to be made. If you are already a Christian, if you're already following Jesus, freedom is your birthright. Freedom is your birthright. You have a large share in hope. Laughter, sorry, laughter, (laughs) was created with you in mind. Laughter was created with you in mind. This is why we call it the gospel, because it's good news. Do you understand? You don't have to agree, but you at least see what I'm saying. And it's interesting, we we go on a lot about emotions and and how we feel. It's interesting, maybe if you're here and you you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, that it might be interesting that I'm I'm not trying to convince you that, that God exists. I'm not trying to convince you that God exists, because actually believing that God exists, won't change your life. Even believing that Jesus was raised from the dead, as a fact, won't change your life. The book of James tells us, even the demons believe that. Most of them are not following Jesus, as far as I'm aware. I haven't checked recently, but I don't think most of those are practicing Christians. (laughs) What changes things is not believing that the resurrection of Jesus is a fact. What changes things is living as though the resurrection of Jesus is the truth. Things don't change until your mind changes. What changes things is not believing in God. It's not good enough. It's better than that. What changes things is believing that the love of God is a real thing that can come and transform your life. And then letting it. That's the difference between good news and good advice. Good advice, which is what religion gives you, as opposed to biblical Christianity. If you do A, B, and C, then X can happen. But until you do A, B, and C, X can't happen. That's good advice. That's the opposite of news. News, as you know from watching the news, something has happened. We're hearing about it. All we have to do is receive it. That's why we call it the gospel, because it's good news. 
It's just about receiving the freedom that was for us. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 12. And it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change your mind. Change your mind about what? About who you were born to be. Ephesians 4 tells us you were created to be like God. Not to be God, but to be like God. You're made in his image. He loves you. And he has these amazing things for you. I'm not saying that God isn't angry. I think God is an angry God. But what if God is not angry at you? What if God is angry that you are not living the life he purposed for you? What if he's angry for you? Because you've got this inheritance of joy and hope and peace and freedom. And you're not living it. I'd be angry. What if he's angry for you? He's not angry at, he's angry that. So we need to change our mind. That's, that's, that's the gospel. We change our mind. That's what repentance means. It just means change your mind and turn around. And the Bible has lots of these things. It's not about how we feel. It's not about waiting for an experience of a feeling that we can then say, okay, I'm now going to do this. John 8, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You won't feel it. Feelings will come afterwards, but you know the truth. Your mind will know it. Philippians 2 says, we've been given the mind of Christ, so we should think about using it. Romans 6, Paul says, think of yourselves as dead to sin. You are dead to sin, so think about it that way. James, consider it pure joy. It's not about feelings. It's not about feelings. Once you, once you understand who you are, who you were born to be. Sorry for moving around all the time. Do you like this jacket, by the way? I quite like it. It's nice, isn't it? It's also, if the Vietnam War starts again, I'll be ready. I'll be ready to go straight into... Uh... Um, what I want to say to you, if you're not currently someone who is uh, calling themselves a Christian or following Jesus, what I want to say to you is that um, in Acts 14, we talked about earlier, Paul says, God has never left himself without a witness, ever. He's never left himself without a I'm sorry, just a bit of tongues there. Uh, <laughs> just waiting on the Lord. <laughs> I can't help being the comedian from time to time. Um, God has never left himself without a witness. So if you have never experienced God, if you're thinking, well, this sounds positive, but I've never experienced this God. He seems very far from me. I want you to know that he's never left himself without a witness. And what do I mean by that? In our culture, God's witness to us is, well, manifold, but one of the things that he's never left himself without is the experience of unconditional love. Everybody in this room, I think, believes in unconditional love. And we know it by its absence as much as by its presence. We desperately want to be loved and accepted without condition. That's why so many of us jump from relationship to relationship, because we're waiting for somebody to say, I love you no matter what. Do you know... There's a myth, I think, that all religions teach the same and, and actually all religions point to a God who is unconditional love. It's not, it's not true. Every other religion says that God doesn't love you unconditionally. There's only one worldview where God loves us unconditionally and it's biblical Christianity. It doesn't exist elsewhere. In Islam, Allah, it says in the Quran, Allah loves not the unbelievers. In Hinduism and Buddhism, there is no personal God to love you. God is just reality. He's the same thing that we are. There's no one to love you. The idea that all roads lead to God. Well, if all roads lead to God and that's the God of Islam, then all of us are in a lot of trouble. There is one story where you are loved unconditionally. 
Jesus. And you believe in unconditional love. So what's the point? What does it it mean? Well, what it means is that if there is any kind of God, then there's only one option of which God it can be. Because you can't give away something you haven't got. If God is only capable of conditional love, but we're capable of unconditional love, how is that possible? Because unconditional love is greater. It's better. It's a better story. If you believe in unconditional love, whether you experience it now or you don't, I want to tell you that that is because you were made to be like God. You were made in the image of God. And it's one of those signposts that points to him. It's also, Christianity is the only religion where you're worth dying for. Maybe I'll say that at at the end. So God has never left himself without a witness. And that's why we call it the the gospel, because it's good news. Whether you feel distant from him or not, I just need you to know that he really loves you and he would die for you and no one else would or has. Once you understand who you are, once you understand that the Bible is for you, then that's what changes things. That's what changes things. Imagine if you, imagine James, if you, I mean, James is an amazing man of God, but imagine if you left here reading Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and you actually put yourself in there and read it confidently, it is for freedom that Christ has set me, James, free. What's your name? Jack. Jack. Jacqueline. Jacqueline. Jack. You can read Romans 8. Once you understand that the Bible is for you, once you understand who you are and who he is, you can read Romans 8 where it says, I'm convinced that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And it's not just general, it's specific to you, Jack. You can read it and say, there is nothing that can separate me, Jack, from the love of God. And you can live as though it's true. What's your name? Fiona. It's more of a girl's name, isn't it, that one? (laughs) Confusing me. Confusing me on a Sunday when I'm trying to preach. Fiona, you can read Galatians 4, 6, and 7, where it says you're no longer slaves but sons and daughters, and you can know that that's true. Because do you know what? The point is this. There's lots of points, but the point is this. If you don't live as though you are a child of God, you will live as though you're not. If you don't believe that you actually are totally free because of the cross, because of Jesus, if you don't live as though you actually are totally free, eventually you will allow something to enslave you. If you don't know that you're free, know that you're not feel, if you don't know that you're free, something will enslave you, eventually. Uh, A couple of final points. Because once you... um, Yeah, good, we're doing okay. Um, I probably won't be assassinated if I go over 31, but do kill the camera at 30. (laughs) Once you understand who you are, then you can change other people's lives as well. Then you can transform other people's lives once you've been transformed. Uh, I was doing some street work out in, in Slawit, in, in Huddersfield. Uh, me and my friend Ola, Nigerian guy, we went up to this group of teenagers and we offered to pray for them. Uh, and um, they basically, some of them were interested, some of them were quite cynical. But we, we, started, we started praying. And then this one guy, their ringleader, 15-year-old, big guy, rugby league player, but only 15, comes up and he squares up to me. And he's not being aggressive, but he's being confrontational. He says, what, what's going on? Who are you praying to? What do you mean? Praying to? You're religious. What's going on? And I heard God say, and this is very annoying. I used to hate it before I became a Christian. I used to hate it when Christians said, I heard God say, what does that even mean? What I mean when I say I heard God say is that I had a thought in my head which corresponded to a feeling in my heart that I should say something. It's not a big voice in the clouds. It's the same voice that says, you've got to pick up your daughter from nursery. You're four hours late. (laughs) That might also have been God, now that I think about it. I heard God say, 
asked Nathan about his dad. I said, Nathan, tell me about your dad. And Nathan, his face dropped. He said, I've never met my dad. I said, I know, Nathan, God just told me that. I know that sounds weird, but God just told me that. And paraphrasing what I said, I said, Nathan, I want you to, I want you to know that the desire you have for a dad is there because it's, God has never left himself without a witness. It's a real need that can be met by a real dad. Jesus uses the word father more than any other word in the New Testament. Because Christianity is not a series of propositions to be believed. It's a relationship to be experienced. He's the best dad you've never had, potentially. So I said to Nathan, I want you to know, mate, that there is a father who loves you. And the Bible tells me, and the voices carry throughout the decades and the centuries, the Bible tells me that he knew you before he made you in your mother's belly. And he also offers to never leave you and never forsake you. And I really think that God wants you to know what it means to be a son. And Jesus, and only Jesus can show you that. Because only Jesus is offering to show you that. And I want you to think about that. And there was no miracle. He didn't drop to his knees. But he just said, yeah, yeah, I think about that. So there wasn't any great repentance or anything like that. But I saw something in his eyes that looked a lot like hope. Because all I had done, all I had done was told a guy that, he, that thought he was an orphan that he wasn't born to be an orphan and God wasn't going to leave him that way. And that's why we call it the gospel, because it's good news. Have I mentioned that? <laughs> Tell you about my, my, my friend Liz. Um, I'll need the purple book. <laughs> the purple one, and also the, the, the one, the, the mystical wood. Um, I've got a friend Liz, and when she was a little girl, she wanted to be a writer, but instead of being a writer, uh, she was f- abused physically, sexually, and verbally by her biological dad. That's what father meant. It meant sexual abuse. He used to scrawl the word ugly on her wall, and when she was naughty, which according to him she she was most of the time, he would make her stand outside overnight in all weathers with no clothes on. Serious. Very quickly she was taken off her parents, um, and because she didn't know that she was born to be a child of God, because she didn't know how precious she was, how valuable she was, she very quickly became... uh, a prostitute, uh, and then she was abused by scores of men who also didn't realize that they were born to be children of God. Then about eight years ago, she met a group of people who told her a better story. They told her of a God who loved her so much that he would come to find her in her present, redeem her past, and give her a good future. And she believed them, because it's true. And things changed. She became a Christian. She still is a Christian. She's one of the most amazing people that I know. Uh, and we did a week of prayer, about 18 months ago now probably, we did a week of prayer and she came, and she started um, writing down, uh, oh, because God keeps his promises, right? So she wanted to be a writer, and now that she's a Christian and she's understood who she is, she is a writer, she's got a book here called The Mystical Wood that she's written, sometimes I sell them, but I haven't got any copies with me, but God is faithful to his promises, like she wanted to be a writer, and now she is, and that's great. So she started writing down what she thought God was saying to her. And again, it's a bit weird, isn't it, when, to the idea that God will speak to us. But you just need to know that we're his kids. He's our dad. It's a relationship. In a relationship, people talk to one another. That's okay. It's not weird. It is weird, but it's, it's still good. <laughs> I want to read to you one of the things that Liz heard Jesus saying to her. And if you're not someone who is currently calling themselves a Christian, I just want you to know that this is what God says. Whatever you think you've been told about Christianity, this is what he says about you. He says it to Liz and to you. He says, My cross is not clean, 
It is stained with blood. My blood that I gladly shed for my people. Do not be afraid to bring your troubles to the cross and to me. I will always listen to you, even if you are angry at me or reject me. I love you unconditionally, no matter what you think you have done. I do not keep stock of your mistakes. Each mistake is the very first mistake. I will not punish you when you make a mistake. All I will do is love you and throw my arms around you. I can offer you freedom, and all you have to do is take it. I can offer you freedom, and all you have to do is take it. I want you to share my love with the world and tell them there's a better way. Tell them that no matter what, no matter what, they are loved by me. Dad used to mean sexual abuse for Liz. Now it means unconditional love. That's what happens when you allow your mind to be changed about a God who loves us. My favorite verse in the entire Bible is Colossians 2.15. It says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Imagine that. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, beating them by the cross. That's what the cross is. What are powers and authorities that Jesus is um, overpowering? They're anything evil, anything dark. It might be addiction. It might be anxiety. It might be fear. It might be physical abuse. It might be unforgiveness. It could be self-harm. Whatever it is, these things are on the cross. Do you understand that? These things are on the cross. Having disarmed them, he made a public spectacle of them. And he triumphed over them. The cross is a very weird concept and it seems very abstract. But you know, the cross is the thing that killed Jesus, but it's also a stop sign for anything that would seek to kill you. It's a go-no-further sign for anything that would steal your identity and your joy. That's why we call it the gospel, because it's good news. It doesn't mean that addiction and anxiety and fear and depression aren't real. They are real. But because of the cross... They don't get to win. They don't get to define you. By his wounds, your wounds are healed. We're all wounded. But that's not the end of the story. Because of the cross, and only because of the cross, his wounds define us. His life defines us. His joy and his freedom define us. That's what it means to be free, to know that whatever you're going through, It isn't as big as the love that God has for you and the security that he has for you as his child. That's why we call it the gospel. So I'm going to pray, if that's okay for you. (laughs) Is that all right? So let's keep it old school. Heads down, eyes closed, if you don't mind. (laughs) I'll just pray and then a, a, a tiny little commission. Father, thank you for these amazing people. Thank you that you say that they are worth dying for. And even if they don't think they are, you say that that's not true. They are worth dying for. And you offer us freedom. Freedom from anything that is trying to kill us. Freedom from anything that is trying to steal our joy and our identity. It's on the cross. These things are real and that's why they're on the cross. They don't get to win. And so I just pray for that freedom Holy Spirit, just to come out here today, just to fill this place. 
and for people's minds to be changed now that they would just know that they are loved, they, are, they were born to be children of God. And they have the right to be children of God. So I thank you for them, Lord, in your mighty name. And with eyes closed and heads down, I'm just going to ask for two different responses. The first response is for the people who would call themselves Christians in the room, uh, who've maybe, you've heard something today, and you just realized that the gospel is better than you thought it was. Maybe you've been living in fear. You've been living through anxiety. You're struggling with some sort of addiction or whatever it is. And you just realized that it's on the cross, and you didn't realize that in the way that you do now. And you're going to, from this moment, say yes to living free. You understand in a new way that you are free from these things that are trying to steal your joy. So if that's you, if you're a Christian already and you're just not going to live in fear anymore, you're going to live in freedom, just raise your hand. Raise your hand so you know. That's brilliant. Loads of hands going up. More hands? Anyone else? That's fantastic. You're going to live. Your hand going up is a sign that you are now free to live in a way that you didn't before. That's brilliant. Hands down. And then I don't know who's here, but... If there's someone here, if the people here who wouldn't call themselves a Christian, but they've heard something that, you know, you think, actually, this, I want this guy. I need this guy in my life. I need this freedom. And I believe that it's true. Not have you heard a good talk, but is the person you've heard about true? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you want his love in your life? You want to make that next step towards him. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you, Jesus. Well, I'll just pray. Thank you, Father, for all these people. Bless them as they leave here. Amen. So last thing. This is not the talk. Last thing. Sorry, I've massively overrun. I'm in a lot of trouble, but um, I'll have left before Stephen Lynn get back, so it'll be okay. There are, um, as a church, we're called to share the good news. There are, in the urban area of Aylesbury, there are 70,000 people. Let's say there's 300 people part of Aylesbury Vineyard Church over the two services. Do you know if... Everybody here, if every person in the church spent five minutes a week telling one person a week that God loved them, then in five years' time, everybody in Aylesbury would have heard the gospel. You lack for nothing. And that's provided no other church does anything. I know you're the best guys in Aylesbury. but So I just want to encourage you. This week, go and tell somebody that God loves them. Say, I just want to let you know that God loves you. Have you ever been told that before? And then tell your story. The thing that changed things with Anne um, was that I, my wife told me to wash her car. So I went around and washed her car. We became really good friends after that, and, and we had a great relationship. And then when she, when she died of cancer a, a couple of years ago, everybody, she wasn't a Christian, but everybody around her was a Christian at that time. The people who came and flocked to her side were Christians. We were able to play, pray with her and pray for her. And I don't know what decision she made at the end. I don't know what decision she made uh, about Jesus but I have this lovely hope that when it's my turn to go home, I'll get to the pearly gates and I'll knock on the door and she'll just be there to open it like this. There you are! (laughs) Amen.